BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 3 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. Do you feel like you don't have enough time and you're constantly in a state of reacting to external stimulus? How do you conduct a powerful monthly review that will unlock opportunities for growth, focus, and improvement? In this episode, we go deep into all of this and stacking powerful mental models, harnessing best practices, and optimizing your entire life with our guest, Sebastian Marshall. I'm going to tell you why you've been missing out on some incredibly cool stuff if you haven't signed up for our email list yet. All you have to do to sign up is to go to successpodcast.com and sign up right on the homepage. On top of tons of subscriber-only content, exclusive access, and live Q&As with previous guests, monthly giveaways, and much more, I also created an epic free video course just for you. It's called How to Create Time for What Matters Most Even When You're Really Busy. Email subscribers have been raving about this guide. You can get all of that and much more by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage or by texting the word SMARTER to the number 44222 on your phone. If you like what I do on Science of Success, my email list is the number one way to engage with me and go deeper on what I discuss on the show, including free guides, actionable takeaways, exclusive content, and much, much more. Sign up for my email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're on the go, if you're on your phone right now, it's even easier. Just text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. I can't wait to show you all the exciting things you'll get when you sign up and join the email list. In our previous episode, we discussed how to train yourself to think and act like a spy with lessons from a real world expert. 
In the game of Spycraft, the stakes couldn't be higher, and one mistake may land you dead or in a foreign prison. In that deadly crucible, only the best ideas survive. We crack open the secrets you can use to influence, develop relationships, and create a bridge with anyone that you meet with the die-hard rules from the world's top spies with our previous guest, Jason R. Hansen. If you want to learn how to influence anyone, even under difficult conditions, check out our previous interview with Jason. Now, for our interview with Sebastian. Today, we have another great guest on the show, Sebastian Marshall. Sebastian is an author, entrepreneur, and founder of ultraworking.com. His blog, sebastianmarshall.com, has been read by over half a million people from a wide range of industries and walks of life. At Ultraworking, Sebastian helps those who are already tremendously productive take even greater leaps and get more done in record time. Sebastian, welcome to the Science of Success. I'm maximally excited to be here. This is going to be fantastic. And and for listeners who don't know Sebastian, Sebastian and I have gotten to know each other over the last month or two, and I've actually been a, a reader of his blog for almost nine or 10 years now, and always been a, a big fan of the way he thinks and the way he writes and the way he approaches the world. And so I'm really excited to have you on the show today, Sebastian. And we've been doing some cool stuff recently around ultra working, and, and we did a free event recently for our email subscribers that was really fun and exciting. But I'm, I'm so pumped because there's so many different topics and things that we can dig into today. Yeah, likewise. And, you know, I think this can be a really, really good show, Matt, because I think we both are into one of the same things, which is, you know, we read a book and it's not like that was fun. Like we want to take it all the way apart and then kind of put it back together in our own lives, all the takeaways. So like your book notes are phenomenal. Your analysis is phenomenal. And, you know, most of the time you're hosting, you very rightfully have you know, whoever the, the PhD that's coming on that's pushing research forwards, be the star of the show. But I hope we can keep this a, a bit of a dialogue because your way of thinking and approach to the world and, and Austin as well, shout out to him. We did Mindset Monday and he's super, super sharp. And we had, that was one of the, my favorite shows that I've been on. Really fantastic. So I'm looking forward to going deep, understanding a principle and then like taking it apart. So like, what can I do with that? Like, what's the pieces of that? that I can like really understand like how anyone from Arnold Schwarzenegger to a famous military general or someone who's very successful in industry five years ago or 500 years ago, you know, in 1850 or in, you know, 1995 or in now or in ancient Roman times did it. Like, I think we're going to cover a lot of really good ground. I'm very excited. I love the way you phrase that and this whole idea of taking things apart and, and putting them back together and trying to understand the component pieces and how to use them and apply them is something that I don't know if I've actually thought about or phrased it ex in that exact way in the way that I think about and approach my own thinking. But that certainly guides the way that I digest or intake really any information, and whether it's a podcast interview or a book or anything. I, I really want to understand how the building blocks fit together and how I can once because I feel like once I get to that fundamental level, I understand the building blocks, then I can reassemble them in different ways. And I can figure out what really is the lever that moves things and I can apply them in all kinds of different contexts. Okay, okay. So I know we like potentially had topics we're going to hit. Let's get back to that. But let's just stay here for a second. So I'm interested in two things, right? One is the actual ability to take things apart analyze them, understand the takeaways. Cool. What does that mean for me? Maybe I should know some numbers. Maybe I should work on my physiology. Maybe I should think about this a certain way. But let's let's ask the harder question first, which is, Matt, 
you know, there's a lot of smart people out there, right? And everybody listening to the show is a super smart person. You know, like you're you're taking a real research-oriented approach. You have incredibly credible guests on here that know their stuff. But some percent of the people that are listening are like, cool, I want to go understand that principle, implement it, and get more results in my life. And some of them are like, okay, that's fun. And that's fine if they're happy with where they're at and they're cruising and they're listening for entertainment, totally cool. But some people like want to be doing better. They're ambitious, whether they're you know in a creative field, whether they're building a career, whether they're building a business, whether they're in the nonprofit sector, whether they have aspirations to go into politics, whether they want to make contributions to science. A lot of people are going to want to do things, but then like they even start to get the analysis, take things apart, see the lines on it, but then they don't go put it into practice. Which is, you know, one thing I really admire about you is you do that and you really think a lot about that and spend a lot of time doing that. And then you have like a, like a pretty cool life. You're doing a ton of really cool stuff. It's like, why, why does that happen? What's the gap among people that want it and can analyze not putting it into action? Where, where do you reckon that comes from? I think that's part of the reason why many of the episodes we have on the show focus around psychology, self-awareness, self-sabotage, those kind of topics. Because, and this is something you and I have, have rift on outside of the show is this whole idea that I I fundamentally believe and I think one of the guiding principles of the science of success is this idea that everyone has the latent potential to achieve things well beyond what they even think is possible. But in order to access that, I feel like in most cases, people get in their own way. We're standing in our own way and whether it's self-sabotage, whether it's lack of awareness, whether it's a fixed mindset, I feel like there's so many psychological barriers and limitations that prevent people from ever really taking that step of applying it, whether it's a limiting belief or a fear or uncertainty or an inability to have wisdom with a capital W and really know or understand or be able to make tough and challenging decisions in a world filled with uncertainty. I think that there's a lot of psychological components that underpin that. Well... I find that answer very persuasive because it's the same answer like the ancient Greeks came to with know thyself a couple thousand years ago. I'm not sure it's gotten easier. In theory, it's easier. There's so much information out there and it's possible. I think if I can just flag something kind of semi-unrelated to what we're going to talk about, but important, I think a lot of people don't realize that they could probably get in touch with just about anyone from any field they were curious about reasonably easily. Maybe not any individual person, like maybe not Elon Musk, but if you wanted to talk to like an aerospace engineer, like you could get in touch with somebody in a few hours. Like that's the internet and people are not taking advantage of that, right? People are not saying, you know, I'm interested in doing X, Y, Z. And I have friends and like really like places with no infrastructure that are in bad shape that just like use the internet to talk to people in the United States who are even more happy to talk to people that are like working hard to come out of like a tough spot, right? You know, it's like you could be in the middle of nowhere if you got an internet connection and get on the phone with an aerospace engineer. You have to work, you have to research, you have to like, you know, write your stuff decently and practice and stuff. But like, you know, we live in an era in theory, it's more possible to know yourself, to get access to good information, you know, probably a lot of people are listening to this are in the car or in the gym. Like, that's amazing. You can listen to a podcast with information from an expert, well-curated, edited, beautiful on your Apple or Android device, right? It's incredible. So in theory, you should be able to know yourself a little better in the past. And maybe a higher percentage of people do. Probably they do. But still, that's kind of the barrier, isn't it? Know thyself and wisdom. Not like moralizing, opinionated wisdom, but just like, you know, wisdom, wisdom. Like knowing what's up. Yeah, and I think that the theme of self-awareness is probably the single most recurrent 
thing that comes up on the science of success. And we've interviewed everybody from professional poker players to astronauts to neuroscientists, hostage negotiators, people who are experts across a huge domain of fields. And again and again, this notion that self-awareness underpins growth is, is almost ubiquitous. And so to me, that piece of the puzzle is so, so important. But the other thing that's really interesting and, and kind of ties back into this notion of self-sabotage that holds so many people back, the example that I always come back to because it just really crystallizes it for me is weight loss. And the reality of, of losing weight is that or being healthy or getting to a body fat composition you want or whatever, I'm just using weight loss as kind of a generic term to describe all of that. But the reality of losing weight is that it's not a problem of lack of information, right? There's There's tons and tons of information, but so often people think that the way to get someone to change their behavior or the way to get their, themselves to change the behavior is through awareness. Most people really fundamentally understand how to lose weight, and yet there's a huge disconnect between knowing it or, or knowing that they should do it and actually doing it. And that's where I think a lot of the psychology starts to come in and the, and the puzzle of motivation and all of these other pieces that underpin all of this. That's really, really interesting. I think about this and related things fairly often. It is and it isn't. You know, the basic information is out there, right? But I mean, I'd say there's probably two problems if somebody wants body composition, right? The first one is you need to learn the basics, the macronutrients, right? There's nine calories in one gram of fat. There's, you know, four calories in one gram of carbohydrate or protein. Protein takes a little more energy to digest. So it's effectively actually three calories. That's one of the reasons when they say when you're losing weight, you should eat protein, right? It's the most efficient. And carbs, depending on if there's fiber, are probably a little better. And then fat has some important things. You can't cut it entirely, but it's the most calorically dense, whatever, right? There's that. And like, you can learn that. You can learn portions and stuff. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is that getting all that stuff mentally is, is most, at best, half the game. The real half of the game is, is adherence. It's all the situations you're presented with the opportunity to make a choice consciously or unconsciously that's against what you want. And I think a lot of people are not studied on how to actually adhere to things. And a lot of people don't have the general and kind of meta skills that are the same for, you know, regulating your diet as they are to regulating your money usage is the same to, you know, disciplined project management across a team. If you're an entrepreneur, obviously there's particular peculiarities about these spaces and they work a little differently, but a lot of the fundamentals are, are quite similar. So I'm not sure that people actually know the entirety of the equation. A lot of people don't even realize that things like weight loss is, a, is an adherence game. You have to adhere to your program. That's the hard part. The hard part's not designing a program. That's kind of, it's not, actually, no, that's not hard. I'll just say it's not hard. You could do it. A nutritionist could do it for you. A personal trainer could do it for you. you go look, like if you know, if you can vet credible sources, you can look at some good ones up online, right? But like adhering to your program, well, that's hard. And I'm not sure people know how to do that. So you could could describe it both ways. And I think to some degree, adherence is, comes back to, at least in my opinion, mostly a psychology issue. But this zooming out, this makes me think about fundamentally the skill set of how to think or how to make decisions. And, and if I think about the weight loss example, people spend the majority of their time trying to get the perfect information or trying to get as much information as possible to create this absolutely perfectly crafted strategy for losing weight. But the reality is if you just took something that was good enough, if you just started doing some basic cardio, cleaning up your diet a little bit, that would probably get you 90% of the way there with extremely basic, extremely simple tactics. But the big barrier to a lot of people implementing that 
is that they haven't developed the thinking infrastructure or the decision-making infrastructure to be able to assess the situation like that and understand what the important decision factors really are that are actually going to create the results they want in their lives. You know, well said. And I, and I see what you mean about psychology now. You're actually not talking about a honed-in slice of psychology. You're talking about it in the most broad and, and holistic sense, which is, you know, modeling and understanding yourself and other people over time and understanding your own behavior and where that comes from and what's going to prompt it and shape it. That's interesting. A lot of people, when they talk about psychology, they think about like psychology, psychology, right? Like they think about like, you know, like a psychologist with a degree from, you know, like, right, a psychiatrist or something, right? But no, you're talking about it really like holistically and systemically, which is is correct and and more true. And, you know, when you put it that way, actually, that, that makes a great point. And then as to the knowledge and the decisions, you know, it's interesting and you're right. It's like, get started. You know, probably one of the reasons that it's hard, I would say, is that there's best practices. Some of the best practices are truly universal or they at least apply to 80, 90, whatever, a very high percentage of people. And if that's the case, it's, if it's either true for everybody or true for almost everybody, you should certainly start with them. If it's the kind of thing that's hard to implement, you should like give it a few serious cracks before you say that's not for me because like if it's hard for people but it's the answer, then like you should just like work at it until you got it. But the hard thing, right, is, you know, I was reading a book on, on learning was this a couple of years ago? And it was written by a programmer. So it was, it was a lot of programming metaphors in there. I'm lightly technical. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a technical person. I'm okay. But you know, it's like I could follow a lot of it. But you know, he was talking about, you know, with learning, he was talking about how beginners really, really, really want rules. You know, so beginners want rules. They want do X. They want to don't eat before 8 a.m., don't eat after 4 p.m. It's the eight to four diet, whatever, right? That's what they want. They eat a, a one grapefruit to start the day, right? Whereas very advanced people, and there's stages you go through and whatever, but very advanced people tend to operate on heuristics. So that's kind of interesting already. But then I think the important part with anything, diet, habit, change, anything, is understanding what type of person you are and kind of getting a correct conception of that. Some people are capable of moderation and some aren't. And like, that's one of the first things to figure out in life is like, are you capable of doing a bad thing in moderation? And like, you got to be really honest with yourself. You know what I mean? Like, are you capable of like, going and doing something that's like eh, a little bit bad for you and then not going any further and not like going off the rails. And like some people are, some people aren't. And there's like probably a spectrum there too. But like figuring that out about yourself is like pretty important, right? Because then you figure out whether you have to be like hard rules, never do the thing, or whether you can kind of like shape it a little bit and do a little bit better. You said something in there that I think is worth expounding upon, which is this idea that very advanced people tend to operate on heuristics instead of rigid rules. And to me, that underscores something that longtime listeners or, or, or many listeners have, have probably heard me ramble on about. And some, some people may hear this phrase and get super excited. And some people may hear this phrase and say, Matt, why do you keep bringing this up? And what is it? But it makes me think of, of mental models and this kind of mental models approach to thinking about and understanding the world. Because and this comes back all the way to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the conversation, because I think we sort of went down the rabbit hole of looking at this from the from the lens just as an example of of losing weight, for example. But I think this really applies to any any result you want to achieve, any anything you want to create in the world, any outcome you're trying to accomplish, you have to be able to break down the fundamental things that cause that outcome to happen. Whether you want to be happier, you want to make more money, you want to lose weight, any any result you want to achieve in life. You have to be able to break down, you, if you're a beginner, as you said, maybe you start with some really simple rules. But if you really want to master the game and pursue a true path 
of, of mastery and be one of the top people really create epic results, you have to have the, as Charlie Munger called it, the mental models approach, which is this idea of breaking things down into heuristics or models or rules of thumb that explain how the building blocks of the world work. Because once you understand those building blocks, you can then combine them or change them or use the right ones in any given particular challenge. Totally. I'm with you. It's good. And you, you've you always been somebody who has had a really detailed understanding of, of digging into and applying mental models. And you know, even from the early days of your blog, you study a tremendously diverse field of, of topics and yet find these really concrete ways to bring those lessons back and apply them, whether it's studying something, an example I know you always like to use is Soviet deep battle theory, right? Or, sure. or Toyota manufacturing lines. And to me, we could even make this more broad or generic, which is if you're studying John D. Rockefeller, or you're studying Caesar, or you're studying somebody who's a, a world-class achiever, how do we take these esoteric concepts and ideas, or as we might also call them mental models from whether it's deep battle theory or manufacturing or economics or anything, how do we take these ideas and start to, in a very concrete sense, understand and apply them in specific contexts and areas of our lives? You know, most of the most successful people I know, they do two things, right? The first thing they do is they look for like the known best practices and they do those, right? So like a lot of times you can look around, you just find a best practice. It's like, okay, seems like everybody in personal finance in the United States recommends using one of those tax advantage retirement accounts and filling that up first, right? So like you should probably put your cash there first, pay off any debt and then that, right? Probably, maybe not, but probably if you're, if you're starting out, right? So there's that. But then you go, what after that? And, and it's kind of like most of the very successful people I know are very willing to do short-term, very inexpensive, low-risk experiments. They really just try something, right? And, you know, there's the grand examples of it, obviously. But like, here, let's pick a really boring one that probably nobody will do if they're not already into it. But it's great. It's like, you could go take an accounting course at community college. You know, you could go learn a little bit about accounting. Accounting is beautiful. It's really cool. It's really useful. You do it once. You're sorted. And you could practice that. So that's worth doing. And then going a step beyond that, if you want to get kind of inventive, you could say, okay, you know, John Rockefeller, let's say you're running a business like, okay, John Rockefeller started looking at, and then 37 Signals later wrote about this. I believe it was in probably in Rework. It was one of their books about taking your waste products, your scrap products and turning those into something that's useful, turning out just kind of like secondary outputs as to and turning those into something that's sellable. And, you know, in oil, there's, there's a variety of, you know, whatever secondary chemicals or whatever that are left over from oil. And like, you can sell those and, and make things out of those. And I don't know, when you come across a historical figure, that's really interesting, or, you know, a metaphor that's really interesting or a concept that's really interesting, like from Toyota, Toyota has one that's really interesting, which is like, they've got a, a diagram that they have where there's like three things that are work. There's value producing work, there's non-value producing work, and there's waste right? And when they diagram this out, they actually find the vast majority of businesses have like under 20% of work is value producing, 
right? So value producing work is stuff the customer actually cares about, right? So if you're like a baker, you're like baking cakes. When the cake, when you're putting the dough together and putting it in the oven, like that's that's value producing. There's like non-value producing work you have to do it. That's like payroll. That's like regulate. Like or I don't know which side regulation goes on. Certainly like administrative internal stuff is like non-value producing for the customer. Like you have to do it, but like you know it's like like if the business just did that, it wouldn't be doing anything valuable. And then there's waste. And they take the concept of waste and they make it really like a very expensive thing. Any unnecessary movement in Toyota counts as waste. So if a guy on the assembly line in a Toyota factory has to bend over for a tool repeatedly, that's waste. That's like right there. If you have to push something 10 feet on the ground, that's waste. And they like are ruthless about like, we'll build a little shelf so people don't have to bend over and we'll like set things up just perfectly so things don't have to be carried. We won't have to push anything and like, never mind like scrap product and rework and stuff like that. They like, that's always. So you hear that and that's like super interesting. The first time you hear that, that's super interesting. Value producing work, non-value producing work, waste. Very interesting. You hear that you're a little smarter, super good mental model. Taiichi Ono uh, wrote a great book. He was the chief engineer at, at Toyota or one of them. And Great book. It's like the system something or the Toyota production system. Taiichi Ono, genius. So you hear that and you're like a little smarter. You're like, oh, what do I do with value producing? What's not? But I think you go a step further if you really want to get the results. And you say, huh, how do I track for a month or even a week? What work I do actually produces value? What work do I do that doesn't produce value? And what do I do that's wasted? Right? And you track that for a week and a month. And you come up with however, whatever method you do to do that is. And you try it out. And I guarantee you'll learn something interesting if you try to do that. And like, oh, well, how do I set it up? What do I do? It's like you're doing an experiment. You kind of can't do it wrong. I mean, it might be more or less productive, but like you just do it. Maybe not everybody wants to do that. Maybe not everyone has the time to do it. Maybe somebody's in an intense university program and they're in a really demanding job right now. So they don't have time to do these kind of crazy little things, but just a tiny little bit of time. Like you learn the mental model of Toyota mental model, value producing work, non-value producing work, waste. Boom. Like, remember that you're smarter. You'll just notice some things like, oh, they're doing a lot of paperwork over there. That's non-value producing work, right? Oh, that person had to run back and forth three times. Like that's waste, right? You get smarter, right? When you know that, but then you go a step further and you're like, if I want to really experiment with that, what do I do? And like, try to classify your own for a week or a month. That's really interesting. I think that's a great and, and practical way to start thinking about these interesting concepts because I think anybody I know I certainly have had this experience and I think a lot of my listeners probably have a very similar experience which is you read a fascinating book or you listen to a fascinating podcast and you you hear two or three or five or ten ideas that seem really exciting and and a lot of times you know the, those go in you know Evernote or they go with somewhere and then they sit there and then they never get applied but this this notion of doing short-term low risk, inexpensive experiments, which is in and of itself is, is another mental model, is a great idea and, and one that I certainly will apply to principles and concepts and, and, and notions that I find interesting. Do you have a specific example or instance of, of a principle that you found really interesting that you tried an experiment for, whether it was successful or not? Constantly. I mean, so well, I'll, I'll tell you what, what I do is every month at the start of every month, I'll actually draw up a theme and a policy for that month and I'll try it out for a month. There'll usually be five to seven supporting elements, maybe something I've done before, maybe something I haven't. That seems like a good idea. And uh, at the end of the month, I'll evaluate which to keep. And I keep a fraction of them because you can't you can't run too many kind of protocols or, or habits. Right. You can you can run a lot of them, especially if they're true, true habits. But, you know, like there's there's an overhead cost to that. Right. So I, I experiment on a monthly basis with things and. 
those vary tremendously. Sometimes they're very expansive and experimental. Sometimes they're very consolidationary. Or let me just get back to just really good eating, sleeping, working out, you know, starting the day strong, whatever. So, you know, it goes across the spectrum from the most fundamental of fundamentals to the most experimental out of experimental. But I do that on a monthly basis. I think the month is a nice time to do that. You know, you do an analysis at the end of the month as to how it went, start of the month, drop a new policy. Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for those. And, I'm, and, and you know, if it doesn't go well, eh, it's a month, not the end of the world. This whole idea of, of monthly reviews and, and something that we've come across a number of times in the show and I, I talk a lot about is this notion of what I call contemplative routines, which is, which is basically just taking time to step back, to think a little bit, to evaluate what are you doing, what's working, how is your time and energy being spent, what are your goals, and, and is what you're doing aligned with your goals? I think having some sort of review process, whether it's weekly, monthly, even daily in some contexts, is, is a really effective way of stepping back and figuring out whether your time and energy is being spent appropriately or not. And I think developing the habit of having some sort of routinized, regular, contemplative routine is one of the cornerstones of being an effective thinker and being an effective decision maker. 100%. I literally don't know anyone with a complex life that's successful that doesn't have regular routine intervals of introspection. And I, I don't think I know anybody that's does that less than monthly. Maybe a couple people are on quarterly if they run like tight plans and can execute. And a lot of the most successful people I know have daily introspection as part of it. That can be as simple as filling out a few questions at the end of a day. I think the week is a very elegant time to do that. I mean, if you're not putting in an hour a week, like, hey, what's going on? What should I be doing about it? Like, that's scary. Like, I 100% agree with you. And I have those on the daily level, the weekly level, the monthly level hard. And I do a little bit around the annual level. I don't do quarterly. I do monthly. But yeah, that's really important and really true. Anybody here that like doesn't have a a single time, like if you only have weekly, you don't have daily, you're all right. If you only have daily, you don't have weekly, you're like you're probably all right. You know what I mean? You might be missing a little bit, but it's all right. If you just do monthly, that's still going to catch some of it. If you don't have anything, like that's like, I'm not going to say it's an emergency, but it's like if you are ambitious, it's probably an emergency. You got to start studying your life seeing what's going well, making sure it continues to happen, seeing what you don't really like and making adjustments. It's essential. It's absolutely essential for everyone to get. It reminds me of, a, of an email I got recently from a listener who said that he felt like his, his life was a state of constant reactivity, never had any time, never had any ability to do anything, was just being bombarded and, and couldn't create any space. And through a couple of the interviews on the show, he was really able to just start and gain a little toehold with one hour of, of journaling or contemplative thinking about his goals and his life and what he's doing. And that the amazing thing about these contemplative routines is that once you start, they compound on themselves and build because that, that enabled him to get a little wedge and see, okay, maybe I shouldn't be spending three hours a day on Facebook. And that was actually what he was doing is getting caught up in the newsfeed and all this other stuff. Yeah. So busy. I don't have time to do what I want. Busy spending 21 hours on Facebook a week. I exactly. really don't have time to do anything. But if you never step back and, and look at it and analyze how is your time being spent? How are your activities aligned with your goals? 
you're never going to know if if you're on the right trajectory or not. And and I personally, I do it on a weekly basis and then also probably a quarterly basis at a broader review. But every single week, I'll look at all of my goals, that the big picture, long-term goals that I've set for myself, and, I'll, and I will determine what am I doing every single day that week that's going to materially move the ball forward on my major goals and priorities. And I'll set specific MITs or most important tasks on each of those days to ensure that you know, the, the, the progress is happening and the actions being taken on those particular goals and activities. I love it. We are, we are singing from the same song sheet and, you know, I've got some pretty advanced tech that some of it's a little bit advanced that that does some really cool, sophisticated stuff to help people track and measure and improve stuff. But, you know, the dead simplest weekly review, I experiment with a lot of formats and people ask me, how do I have a good weekly review? Right. And you want to hear like the best simple get started. I have an advanced, crazy weekly review, but if I get too busy, you want to hear my weekly review? It's it's so simple, but it's incredibly powerful. You want, you want to hear this? I got like the best yeah, one. Everyone absolutely. doesn't have one can, can have it. All right. It's three questions. You write them down and you, you, you answer them, right? It's three questions. One is what's really going on. What's really going on. I italicize really what's really going on Two. So what do I do about it? Three, what matters? Semicolon. What doesn't question mark? what's really going on? So what do I do about it? What matters? What doesn't? And I think that's really pretty good because if your life is just cruising, that's like a five, 10 minute thing. What's really going on? Everything's great. So what I do about it, keep it going. Oh, make sure I only went to the gym twice last week, go three times this week. So what matters? What doesn't? Oh, the stuff I'm doing matters. Stuff I'm not doing doesn't matter. Great. Right. But if like things are a little messed up, that could be a prompt for an hour of introspection, two hours of introspection, kind of really listing it out, making a list of everything that you're somewhat committed to and crossing off the stuff you don't want to be doing on the doesn't matter list and thinking like, hey, this thing matters that I'm not doing. How do I do it? So that's, if you don't have it, start there. That's the, I I think it can't get much simpler than that and cover all the bases, but that's the get started with a weekly review, write down three questions, answer them. There's advanced stuff, but that'll, that does a lot. Yeah, I love that last question because in in essence it it starts to get at the the 80/20 principle and trying to figure out what's what's really creating the results you want in your life, what's creating the results you don't want and how do you start to shape your actions so that you can cut off or remove the things that are creating negativity and spend more time and energy on the things that are actually working. And you know, one of the things that we give away to everybody who signs up for our email list is a free guide a video course on how to use the 8020 principle and that entire course for for listeners who haven't done it or people who haven't joined is is essentially a done for you contemplative routine that even if you just do it one time will will showcase and show you all kinds of opportunities of wasted time of areas of new focus of things that you should be you should be doing and to me that's a routine that I do on a regular basis to try and really determine how I'm how I'm doing Am I aligned with my goals? What's working? What's not working? What matters? What doesn't matter? As you put it, I think all of these questions in some kind of regular format are are vital to achieving any sort of outcome. Yeah, it's really good. You do the analysis once along those lines and like it pays dividends for a long time. So there can be a lot of value in doing like like some tracking and analysis on a regular basis. There's a lot of value, but doing sorts of tracking and analysis kind of you know, again, taking things apart and putting them back together just once does a pretty good job of both instilling the mental model, not in a theoretical level, but on an I've actually improved some stuff level, as well as just kind of like, you know, the guy that was like 21 hours on Facebook and thought he was busy, 
right? It's like, well, okay. You know, I mean, the 21 hours is a lot of your life, man. That's like, it's like almost a full day, right? It's, it's 24 hours in a day. That's, that's not good, right? So yeah, love it. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented... They'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. One of the most interesting things you, you you said to me when we were having our pre-show conversation was this idea of starting with analysis as opposed to starting with aspiration when you're when you're doing these contemplative routines when you're doing monthly planning. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so so most people start with aspiration, right? They start with like, what would be great? Like, I want to be a piano playing, marathon running, triathlete, Olympian astronaut right? And I'm exaggerating, but only, only slightly people, people like to dream. They like to think about these big things. And I want people to get big things, but I want them to actually succeed. I don't want them to daydream about it and feel good for five seconds. Like, it's like, how do we actually go get that? Right. And what I think is that, okay, a lot of people just don't try enough stuff. They don't get outside their comfort zone. They're scared. So they just need to be told like, go do anything. Right. I mean, like if you have a big dream, like you want to run a marathon, just start running today. Like, like, great, like good solid. But assuming you've got a little bit of success, you've got some good things happening. And I think probably most people listening to this have some pretty good things happening in their life. They got they already got a base. It's not perfect. We can do better, but like things are going all right. I, I think you really want to start. You really, really, really want to start with a, a state of like what's the current state of things and do some analysis. We have a couple of like smart spreadsheets and stuff that we do to do analysis and planning. And I, I can put up a, a couple of these, including monthly planning on ultraworking.com slash SOS for science of success. So I'll put them on ultraworking.com SOS if people want to check them out. And like with monthly planning, what we do is we don't start with like, oh, what do you want in life? What's your goal? What's your whatever? Like we start with like, how did every day of last month go? Right. So there's like a little ranking thing. 
Like the the thing is smart. You tell it what month it is, and it'll like be formatted correctly. These are the weekends. These are the days. Whatever. There's 28 days in February. There's 31 days in January. Whatever. And but it's like was like factually what happened that day. That's the first question. There factually what happened on that day. Was it a exceptional day, good day, neutral day, bad day? However you judge that. And are there any takeaways that you might want to do next month based on what happened? And pay close attention. We always tell people pay close attention to exceptional days and bad days. So you want to say like how many good days, how many exceptional days and good days did I have last month and how many bad days did I have last month, right? So if you want to be like really happy or if you want to be really fit or, you know, you want to really have a lot of success in business, like, okay, if you're an entrepreneur, you're getting a business going, like how many days of last month did you do like the right stuff to get your business going? And if the answer is like, not many, then like, you know, you should work on like putting in a solid, like, what do you need? Do you need like product or do you need growth? Or, you know, maybe those are okay. You need better operations. Like whatever the thing is that you need right now, like what, how many days did you work on that? Like on the days you did work on it, you made breakthroughs. What'd you do? Right. So you kind of always want to start there and very rapidly you'll see like, Oh, okay. Like I had a bad day this day that I didn't like sleep because the night before I went out and I whatever I didn't sleep or whatever you know so it's like, okay on this other day I went out and I ate this junk food and I didn't do this whatever I didn't really work much this day I kind of screwed off so it's like you kind of start eliminating those bad days make them at least into neutral days and you try to take some days that are like pretty good and put the elements of exceptional days in there and you build kind of a lot of momentum and you get yourself really healthy but by doing like the things that are already working for you on your good days you do more of those and the things that are causing your bad days you stop doing those as you do that you get to a base of like yeah, my life is going pretty solid. That's the type of place that is like the ideal place to start triathlon training or getting really serious about composing music and, 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 you know, making music. And yeah, you could just start, but most people just start things and then like just stop things, right? You want to actually do it for a long time. And I think that has to come from a place of like looking at like what is already going on and like what's working. And like, there's always glimmers of things working. Even when you get in a bad thing, like there's like some day in the month that's better than the other days. What'd you do on that day? Let's do more of that. Did you walk through the park that day? Like, let's go for a walk through the park as many days as we can this month. If the park is correlates with a lot of like happiness and, and well-being and whatever and then just like what you do on your exceptional days do more of that and like were there any days that like you're really just like that day totally sucked i was like indoors all day and i was on facebook all day and i just didn't have any like oh i shouldn't be indoors on facebook all day like that's bad i'm gonna just not have days like that going forwards so by starting with the analysis by starting with like where am i already at you can really build on that and and you know when you finally want to do aspirational like really legit big aspirational stuff you want to like you know, be in a place where like you're going to take it really seriously and actually do it. And I always tell people, you never want more than one aspirational thing at a time. Now, you could say, OK, I'm going to try out paintball, running, you know, tooling around a little bit with music, writing a couple poems. You can like experiment and like kind of float around and see what you like. That's totally cool. Like, that's great. But when you're like, I'm going to get really good you know, at playing the violin or like, I'm going to like really write a novel, then like you should take that like super seriously and you should do like one thing like that, just one, right? Until it's really rock solid, stable, and then go hard on it instead of like, yeah, I don't really like where things are at. Let me have a big aspiration. Like, no, start with analysis. And when you want to do an aspirational thing, do it like seriously and then succeed. By all means, try things out. But the minute you say like, I want to like finish at a good time on a marathon, or I want to complete an Ironman triathlon. Once you set a goal like that, you should be like putting everything behind it. And most of the time you should be setting those goals after you've like established a pretty solid baseline where it's not going to get derailed and get thrown off. Cause like, you know, like success is good. Let's get to some success. I mean, that's the point of the, that's the point of the show, right? We want to get the science behind success and get there. This idea of a baseline that you're describing is something that I've, I've always thought about when I study 
and I'm going to zoom out and then come back to this in a second. But when I study world-class achievers, people like a Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or Elon Musk or whatever, they have an incredible amount of, of leverage on their time. And by that, I mean, they have the same amount of time as anyone else does. But in that, in that finite amount of time, they're creating massive amounts of results, right? And those could be financial results. They could be any, any result that you're thinking about. What happens is when you start with these basic routines, these contemplative routines, like a weekly review or a monthly review or an 80-20 analysis, you carve out a little bit of space and you start to do the analysis that that you said is so important, Sebastian, and begin to carve out more and more and more space. But what happens is you do that once and you you gain the benefits for a long time, but you can keep repeating it and you do it again. And so now you've carved 20% of the of the noise and the BS out of your life the first time you do it. But then you do it three months later and and then suddenly you have this new platform and you carve 20% more of the BS out. And that's how leverage starts to stack over time after you've established somewhat of a baseline and conducted the and, and gotten in the habit and the routine of having these these regular reviews, that's when you really start to see these incredible compounding effects that truly create leverage in the results that you're uh, achieving in any any activity that you're involved in. Yeah, and that's that's one of my favorite mental models right there. That's compounding, right? So you multiply things, you know, you multiply things. When, when results multiply by each other and then they multiply based on them, then that's really good. And, you know, to, to take a different one, if we want to use a math kind of metaphor for life, so there's a, there's a couple of things people can do, right? One of the biggest things in life that I think is really, really good is when you would have a negative day, when you have a day that's hostile to your goals, where you would go backwards, if you could turn that into a neutral day instead of a negative day, right? I think that's really good. And if you have a day where you're like pretty good and you can make that an exceptional day, you know, like you move that and yeah, that's really good. And like, yeah, the more you like remove kind of junk out of your life and like, here's the thing, right? A lot of people are like, I don't want to remove junk from my life. But like, how do I put this? If there's a bunch of junk in your life, you kind of don't have space for like good stuff in your life, right? You know what I mean? Like if you're spending all your time like on Facebook, like then you're spending that time. And like, like, I don't know, like if you made some like really cool friends that you got along super well with and like really had a great time hanging out with them, that would almost assuredly be more fun than being on Facebook, right? Like I think that would, I think we can say that pretty safely. So as you say, you know, cut the junk, right? And then establish a higher level of routine, get able to get more output per hour, set a baseline of that. Don't go backwards on your bad days. And it's like kind of an iterative process. It's not like a snap your fingers thing. I think a lot of people really look for like one thing that'll turn it around. And, you know, like the good news and the bad news is there's like thousands of good things you could do. And the more of them you stack up, the better and better you get. Like Elon Musk doesn't have like one magic trick. He's doing like a thousand things right, right? So he has like a baseline understanding of engineering, of physics, of finance, of capital, of people, of teamwork. Like he, he learned all these things. And like, you know, you put together all that stuff and a bunch of other stuff and like you can build rockets, which is really cool. But you need a lot of things. You need to understand capital. You need to understand regulation. You need to understand, you know, teamwork and getting good people and recruiting and like in the physical space and, you know, material science and like all this stuff. And, you know, but you could slowly build those over time. You know, Elon Musk wasn't Elon Musk. He was just like a guy, right? You know, I mean, like he just went out and did it all. And that's really cool. And that can be, you know, as, as deep as, you know, learning advanced physics and material science, or that can be as simple as like, you know, like, how do I like kind of lock down how I start my morning and start it really strong? And, you know, like, how do I like 
ensure that I'm learning regularly? How do I get the good insights out of things? Like, I love your your book notes, Matt. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about them. You have like some of the best book notes I've ever seen. Like, you're just like, you just tear insights out of books more metaphorically than literally. It's really fantastic. And I mean, that's like a practice that you need a little, like enough space of no, like you have a little bit of spare time so you can like read good books and then think about them and then think a little more and then compile them and then actually review them. And like, it just builds, it kind of compounds. Like, how, how did you get like, like your book note? Like your book notes are awesome. You like draw some diagrams and stuff. Like I, I love it when I look at those. Those are amazing. Well, you're very kind and and I appreciate the compliments of my book notes. And I, I've I've occasionally given away a few mind maps or notes and things like that to listeners, but maybe that should be something I should I should turn into uh, some kind of more regular content. But the way I actually, and this is uh, essentially the, using the same sort of vocabulary we've already been using, this is basically a contemplative routine or a learning routine that I developed and kind of baked into my my weekly architecture, which is I I try to spend one hour a day on what I call super learning, but that's that's for a particular reason, but it doesn't really matter what you call it. But I try to spend one hour a day and actually each day of the week, I have a specific activity that that hour is dedicated to. So a couple days a week, that activity is dedicated to any sort of learning or information consumption, whether that's reading, whether that's podcasts, whether that's some sort of course that I'm taking, something like that. And then every at least once a week, there's an that hour is dedicated to the creation of book notes or book summaries or or notes that summarize these key ideas and then typically every friday the last day of the week that hour is dedicated to the review of previous book notes and previous ideas and i try to stack or time those reviews around a forgetting curve so i use a free open source piece of software called anki or anki to to do that i don't do it perfectly in every case but basically what i'll do is every friday i'll i'll print out or or review three or four of my book notes from from books that i haven't reviewed over a certain period of time and the idea is as long as you review them with some regular frequency that the the necessary frequency actually decreases as time extends so it goes from the you know the first time you learn something you have to review it one day later and then three days later, and then a week later, and then three weeks later, and then a month later, and then three months later, and et cetera. That's what a forgetting curve is. But the idea is basically, how do I review and 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 keep all of these different ideas and mental models in my mind in a way that I'm constantly building up this knowledge and harnessing the power of compounding from from a knowledge standpoint so that I can have a more rich and deep understanding of the way the world works. But to me, that that comes back to what we've been talking about the entire time, which is establishing these routines in this space to where those kinds of, of, of learning activities can even have a place. Because I'm sure very similar to you, and actually you're way more extreme than I am in this, yeah, I spend virtually no time on things like Facebook or things like Instagram or et cetera. You know, I, I have an account, but I haven't posted on an Instagram in almost a year. And, and so these are the kinds of things that I, I try to cut out all the noise and really focus in. And I don't, I don't read the news, for example, is another, another good instance of that. I try to cut out all the noise and create space for deep learning in my life and create the space for those habits and routines. And honestly, what enabled me to do that was beginning with these really simple habits of looking at and starting and understanding how do I, you know, analyzing where am I spending my time? What am I doing? What's creating the results I want and what's not? Matt, that's incredible. And and I actually want to take that apart and like give some guidance like that I'm like as a somebody observing your system. Let me see if I can 
you know, kind of tease it apart and kind of speculate as to how the rest of us could do it. I'm actually going to do this and I'm going to get on your case to get on my case that I actually do it because I'm going to level up my reading game because it's awesome. I'll send but you my, before, my weekly guidelines. Oh, oh, well, yeah. I'm, and I'm going to go hard on it. But, you know, before that, you mentioned this thing. I, I just want to clarify the, the news. What, what is that? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just I'm just messing around. You know, I'll tell you a secret, though. I'll tell you a secret. Believe, you know, is, I'm actually not extreme or, or hardcore or whatever the, 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 the word you use for me is, though, though it's cool. I'll, I'll take the label. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. But you know, you know, my secret is everyone's like, oh, Sebastian's so disciplined. I'm like, I'm not so disciplined. I just blocked it all on the computer. I just use software to block it all. Like, I just can't go on Facebook. Like, there you go. No discipline needed. You know, and, and I'll, I'll tell people. So there's two things that I do, right? If something is super addictive, I'll straight block it. And th- there's a great Mac app called Self-Control. There's varieties for Windows and Linux. You should do some research on it. And But there, there's a lot of tools that do it. Self-control is really good on the Mac. And default settings, you can block websites for up to 24 hours. So you could throw in there Reddit or Facebook or whatever you want. And you turn the block list on. And it's like very hard to turn it off. You could if you really wanted to. But it's like really actually quite hard. There's no way to like manually override or whatever. You'd have to go like edit your... I'm not going to even mention how to get around it. But you'd have to go like mess with your computer to turn it off. It's really hard to turn off. So I use self-control and then I actually edited the settings on self-control and I, I can put links to this and, and to, I actually have the, a guide on how to edit self-control, not a guide, like a few lines of code that you can use to make it able to block for more than 24 hours. So I put on 30 day blocks at a time, whatever's been addictive to me lately, I just throw it on block, even if it's otherwise a healthy, decent place. So I like, I like the site lesswrong.com. It's like a smart rationality site. But if I'm spending too much time on there, eh, just taking a 30 day cooling off on it. I like Quora. I think it's smart. There's a lot of valid reasons to use it. If Quora has been, you know, pathological for me lately, you know, I'm, 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 it's going on the block list, right? So I do that for blocking. Then I curate everything that I use. It's a little dangerous. So there's a bunch of Chrome extensions. If you use Google Chrome as your browser, a Facebook newsfeed eradicator, great, kills your newsfeed. So I log into Facebook. I can like click on some group or, you know, whatever or say I'm going to an event or something, but I don't see the news feed. It just sucks you in. It sucks me in too. I'm not like, I don't like look at it and then like I'm super disciplined. I just don't look at it. And then the, my, my favorite one of those is, is distraction free YouTube. DF YouTube is the name of the extension. And that one kill autoplay and kill suggested videos. So I can go to YouTube very safely, you know, look up whatever the clip that I was looking up or click on a link that somebody sent me. And I'm not like, YouTube rabbit hole, right? For hours and hours. So all of that filtered. And then there's one more, actually, that this was kind of a missing piece of the puzzle for me, was there's another great Chrome extension called Fox Filter. And you can actually block words from showing up in a URL, regardless of what website it's on, right? So something that I did, this was like kind of plagued me, it was kind of a hole in my don't be distracted thing is I will semi like reflexively Google one of the Boston sports teams. I'm from Boston originally. And, you know, there's the Celtics and the Patriots and the Red Sox and whatever. They play sports and stuff. And, like, I, I, like, I like sports. It's cool. Like, I think it's really cool. Like, I like some people, like, hate on sports. I think sports are cool. And, like, sometimes I'd have, like, 10 minutes before something. So I'd Google just, like, Celtics. And the recent game scores would come up. And I'm like, huh, I can't block Google. And, like, I thought about changing my search engine. But, like, Bing does it and DuckDuckGo does it. And I'm, like, kind of looking at it. And, like, every now and then, okay, usually look at it for 10 minutes. Okay, the Celtics beat the Kings 110 to 80. Sounds like a terrible game. I'm not giving a look at the box score. Who cares? But every now and then, it's like, oh, Marcus Smart got in a fight with James Harden. I better I better get on this and check it out. So, so I blocked everything. So it's not about being extreme. It's about just, like, setting things up once. And, you know, as that relates to – what you were just saying is like, I set up my environment once 
and you know, sometimes you have to experiment and figure out the right tech setup, figure out the right personal routines, but you do stuff like that. Then you have time to do things like read really deliberately. And then I set some rules of, I really prioritize old books, right? So I'll read technical books that are new and I'll read biographies that are new, but anything on general life, I read old books only. If it's in the last hundred years, I don't want to read it. And like that, some people are like, oh, it's kind of hardcore. Like you can get translations into modern English, you know, you pick a foreign book, you know, I think Aristotle's still pretty good, right? Like he's a smart guy, right? So, you know, you read old books, you know, read Sherlock Holmes. It's better than any fiction that's coming out now. It's really like awesome. It's really good. But then I don't have the hardcoreness about your reading and your book notes. And even as you were describing it, I'm like, whoa, that is so hardcore. I couldn't possibly do that. And I think about that for a second. I'm like, no, of course I could. I'm, you know, like, like Matt's a smart guy. But if I like work at that really hard, I could probably do that too. And, you know, probably what you do is that you started reading. And you're probably like, hey, it'd be better if I could remember this. So you started some note taking. And then you like leveled up on the note taking. And then you put a review period on. And like, okay, like once you have that, you got most of the pieces of the puzzle. Then you learn how to use Anki. Anki is like, sounds kind of crazy, but it's like software that just shows you things like less often, the more you've looked at them and known what they are, right? That's all it is. It's just to like remember stuff and like you use it and it works Space repetition. The theory behind it's great. There's super memo is a great website that has the, the details on how to do it. Yeah. It's just a genius system that you have. And, you know, to your point, I don't think I'm extreme in my non usage of Reddit. Reddit's just blocked on my computer and I'm not hating on Reddit. I love Reddit. That's why it's blocked. So I just block it. And it's like, oh, I got to do something else. And a lot of times, unfortunately, the like distraction will run into the next distraction that you have. And you'll start, if you were spending time on Reddit, then you'll start spending time on Hacker News. So like yeah, at some point you have to like, make a choice of whether you're going to like kind of shift your general consumption patterns or just block everything. And I've done both. But, you know, I don't know. You do that to kind of create the space for like, okay, I'm going to read more good books. Huh. I want to remember it. I'm going to take more notes. Huh. I want to remember my notes. I'm going to review my notes huh, I could do better reviewing my notes. Okay, I'm going to install space repetition. And like, yeah, that's like a pretty cool life. And like, as much as it might like sound like work and hardcore, it's a lot more fun to do stuff like this than it is to like surf the net. Like I, I just really would promise everybody here that if they implemented a reading, note-taking review and like messed around with tech to make it even more fun, like at the end of that, you'd be really proud and you'd have a lot of fun while setting it up and while doing it in the process. And if it's like not fun, you could probably design it better to be more fun because like things like this are pretty fun. Yeah. And, and there's a bunch of ways that there's a couple of things you said that I think are really important to draw out and, and expound upon. But the most important thing is this idea that, you know, it's not about being a super disciplined person, right? You're not a superhuman, though you are a very smart dude. I'm definitely not a superhuman. Like I break down, I miss my daily learning times. If I have a busy day, you know, I try to get it in every single day, but I, I certainly fall off the wagon on those routines. But it, but it's about creating the conditions that, enable you to do that in the first place, right? And, and and you have to have some kind of distance or space to be able to create those routines and conditions in the first place. And that comes back to the importance of analysis and routine. Totally. And, and something else there, a lot of people break down the first time they have a failure and they give up and like, no, 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 no. Like not, not right. Like you should design your protocols and your plans so that they can survive a little bit of damage. On baseline habits, I actually aim for a 70% success rate. And if I succeed more than 70%, I make them harder. So I'm always around 70% on my habits. And if I like, I'm failing recently and I'm below 70%, I make them easier. I use something called a lights spreadsheet. You mark them yellow, red, or green based on whether you do them. So if I do this reading 
notes thing that I think I will. It's really cool. And your notes are really out of this world. If you, if you did publish more of them, I think that'd be very helpful. They're really, really great. I mean, like I've seen a lot of notes and summaries, but yours are like really like illuminated and there's like drawings and like it's like really, they're really, really good. If I, I'd like to try, I'm not going to draw. I can't draw, but like, you know, like even the mind mapping thing, you've got like, like you're, they're really cool. But, you know, I'll try, I'll try the hardcore note taking with Anki thing. I'll, I'll give it a shot at least. It's great. I read a lot and I'd, I'd love to remember more of it. But I'll put that on a light spreadsheet. And if I get it, you know, if I get it five days out of seven, that's about right for me. And if I'm getting it more than five days out of seven, you know, I might, I might make it a little harder until I'm kind of calibrated. Some things aren't like that. You know, if you're quitting smoking, you should like quit smoking seven days out of seven. You should, you know, so some things are like, kind of, you know, you know, or die trying type habit, right? Like you really give it everything you've got. But I think doing that and then accepting that things go wrong, you know, there's, there's a great, there's an okay book. It's not a great book called Elite Minds. And the guy's an Olympic, like he works with Olympic athletes. And the coach said, this is a great chapter. In there. This is my favorite chapter in the book where it's like not an amazing book. It's like a pretty good book. Like he goes on these long anecdotes that are eh. But there's this one thing here that's super important, which he says, look, there's no 110% in athletics. Say give 110%. No, 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 that's wrong. There's like 100%. First off, that's like math and physics. Second, like 100% in athletics is like 100.1 is like dying. <laughs> right? There's like the most the human body can do and like serious problems go past that. You actually never want to go near that line. You don't want to get to a hundred, maybe in the Olympics, you want to push yourself to 99.9 or whatever and leave it all out there. But you usually don't because it's like really bad for your body, right? So he goes about that. He says the ideal Olympic athlete, the reason people think there's give 110 is because most people are at 40 to 60%, even when they think they're trying. Most people are only giving 40 to 60% of what they're capable of, even when they think they're trying. I'll say that a third time. Most people, when they think they're trying as hard as they can, are only trying 40 to 60% of their max effort. He's talking about sports, right? Like if you're running, run as hard as you can. Like your hard as you can is probably 40 to 60% of your maximum ability. Like if you were getting like chased by a wild animal type thing, right? And he said Olympic athletes, he encourages the athletes to train at 80% of their maximum ability and to try to hit it as much as they can. But even Olympic athletes will miss three to five days a month. And like they're Olympic athletes, they're training all the time because they want to be like the fastest person on earth, the fastest swimmer, or the most accurate javelin thrower, or whatever, right? Like it's the Olympics, it's like the most competitive thing, right? But 80%, right, 25 plus days of the month. And if you could do that, that's Olympic level. And he said, you know, the good Olympic athletes might be like 20, 27, 28 days of the month, whatever. So like, okay, that's like pretty hardcore. You got to give 80% of your max ability. That might feel like 110, 120, 130, 150, but it's not give hundred percent. And it's not, don't miss any days. A lot of people collapse, right? After they miss a single day of their habit, it just comes down. And that's like, I think a sign of, and I don't mean this in like a mean way, but like in a factual way, I think it's a sign of immaturity, right? You just think that I'm going to get my thing perfect and I'll never break again. Like, nah, you're gonna have like a really bad day at some point. Your thing is going to break and that's fine. You just get back on it the next day. And that's kind of the champion mentality. Like your days will go wrong. You'll do some analysis and introspect to fix them and don't collapse when things go wrong. Like just get back at it. And then there you go. And your system should ideally account for that. And you should know how to reset them after a bad day or even a bad weekend or even a bad week happens and just kind of get back in the game and keep at it. It's such a critical thing to understand and and build your systems around the fact that humans are fallible. We make mistakes. We get distracted. It's not about turning yourself into this iron-willed superhuman. It's about understanding your own weaknesses and limitations, which in many ways comes all the way back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation with, with the importance of self-awareness, but really understanding those and then crafting routines and habits and and systems in your life and rituals in your life 
that take that into account? You know, I, I got I got one that might be a good note to wrap up on. I, I, and I bet I bet you have something like this in your systems too, Matt. I think it's really useful to get really good at like clean slating whenever you need, right? To be like, okay, yesterday happened. It's over on it now, right? And I call those fire breaks, right? You establish little fire breaks. And the more often you can be like, okay, that just happened. That was bad. Now I'm back on it as if that didn't happen. Or, hey, I just won. I had an amazing day yesterday. Clean slate. I'm back on it today. So you can kind of like cheat a little bit and keep it if you have positive momentum. Yesterday was great, so I'm going to have a great day today. But if yesterday was garbage, like yesterday's over, I'm going to have a great day today, right? And just kind of like wiping the slate mentally clean, right? Because people, you know, kind of get stuck in whatever pattern they're in, right? And like some people are just like really like in a zone of their life right now. And for them, it's, you know, maybe not as relevant. But like, if you're like a little up and down, you're a little bit of a transition, you know, maybe you're like a little bored in your grad school and it's like the last semester or, you know, you're in a job and you're like probably going to switch soon, but not quite yet or whatever. Like, it's just kind of like get at it every day. Right. And like, and like have your system such for me, when I do my weekly reviews at the end of Saturday, it's as if the last week didn't even happen. Not true. I pay attention, but like, it's like, okay, now it's, I start my weeks on Sunday and I end them on Saturday. It's like, okay, it's Sunday. I'm on it. What am I doing this week? And I do that like double strong at the end of months. And I do that to some extent during the day. And even at the half day mark, I actually redo similar to a morning planning session. I do that again at the half day mark. And my afternoon productivity picked up a lot when I do that. So it's like, even if the morning is kind of shot or kind of crazy or whatever, it's kind of like, okay, no, that's over. What am I doing in the afternoon today? Like I can typically hit one to two milestones that are significant in the afternoon and then do a couple small things. And like I plan it out. If the morning was great, great. I still want to get on it and crush it in the afternoon. If the morning was just, eh, well, the morning's over now. Time to get to the afternoon. You got something like that, Matt? I bet you do. I think you're definitely more disciplined about it than I do, but I think maybe it's just a natural thing. Like when I think about my periodic weekly reviews, I, I look at what happened the previous week, but I, I don't let it impact what's happening this week. I just, I reset everything back to what are my big picture goals and how am I going to take action this week to, to move those forward? That's the game. So let's, let's tie this up with something concrete or specific. We've talked about a lot of really specific and concrete and actionable things listeners can do to start to implement some of these ideas, but what would one piece of, of homework or one action item be that you would give to listeners to start concretely implementing and going down the road of, of all of the themes and ideas that we've talked about today? I think it's really obvious that if somebody doesn't have a structured introspection time, they should pick one and they should set it. And some people are better if it's something you do every single day. So that could be a review the day and plan the next day in the evening. Some people just like to do the same thing every day and that's what works for them. For other people, it's like, well, the week's kind of crazy. You know, in that case, maybe they just take a weekly review and carve out a Sunday and you can put a calendar appointment down for yourself on a Sunday or a Saturday. And maybe you do like an hour of introspection by yourself and then you have a call with your dad, your mom, your best friend or whatever. And like you tell them how your week went and analyze it together. That would even be a fine way to build some accountability. And of course, you could do it monthly as well, though. That's obviously a longer interval. So, yeah, I think people should put a stake down if somebody already has a decent like review the day, review the week thing potentially play with different variants of that. You know, I do, I do monthly planning. I'll put that up at ultraworking.com slash SOS. So people could check that out if they want to. I have some stuff for daily. I'll put that stuff up and, and I'll mention the questions we put on weekly reviews and such. But I think everybody here should 
pick a time to just say like bare minimum is like what's going on what do i do about it what matters what doesn't type stuff now that'll be you know if that's music it could be very if you're making music that could be a very specific thing like am i playing my scales am i composing am i playing live in front of people right could vary you can customize it for yourself but i think establishing the habit of doing it in any format has such an immense amount of value I, I question whether somebody that was not in an extremely simple discipline, and there's some simple disciplines that are very important, but I question whether there's somebody that's not in a simple discipline could really hit the kind of world-class levels or even just normal love, everyday excellence. You know, I, I don't think people could get there without a regular introspection habit. Everyone I know that's effective is like, hey, what's going on? How are things going? What's working? What's not working? What do I do about it on some regular interval? Could be daily, could be weekly, might work if it's just monthly. But I think everybody here should get on that ASAP and look forward to it. It's actually like at first it's a little like, huh, I'm kind of learning how to do this. But then you're kind of like getting some time to like think and make sure you're on what really matters to you. I think I think that'll really, really change a lot of people's lives if they don't have something like that. And just echoing one of the themes that's underpinned a lot of the conversation we've had today, the first time you do it, it's not going to be perfect and you're not going to, you're going to get some insights, but it's going to be messy and sloppy and, and you're going to be learning through it, but you have to have that baked in, in some way to really truly harvest the results over time. So Sebastian, where can people who want to learn more about you, about all the things that you're working on and writing and sharing, et cetera, what is the best place for them to, to find you and your work online? Well, so I'll put some templates up that people can use and check out the monthly planner the next time the month rolls around. Next time it's like the last few days of the month. But you go to ultraworking.com slash SOS. We'll hook you up with some of our best stuff and, and it's totally free and you can get on that. And yeah, that'll be really cool. And I'll, I'll include my links to some of my favorite stuff. And I, I tell you what, I'm gonna put one other thing up there, Matt. I'm gonna get on your case to, to maybe give me some book notes that haven't been released before or something like that and link that up and we'll we'll put those in there too and um, you know obviously release them and, and, and put them out to everybody but uh but let's link up some of your best book notes because these are really a work of art like people are just listening and are like wow this marshall guy's really like flattering matt no these are, they're really good for real like we got to get some of those up so okay, i'm gonna twist your arm a little bit and, and let me link up one of those so that the world can check them out okay we'll we'll make that happen and this has got me thinking more broadly about ways to maybe share those on a more systematic basis or start to share those with the listeners in some way. So I, I like that you've planted that seed. I'm just doing it selfishly. I just want to like get get credit for getting your your beautiful book notes out into the world. They really are like and like people are listening they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, really. They're really good. You're very kind. But anyway, Sebastian, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing all these insights, lots and lots of concrete things for the listeners to execute and and apply some of these principles in their lives. It's a pleasure, Matt. Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. 
Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or If you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.